Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Everyone's chatting away. 2016, can you believe it? 16 years ago, we nearly died from the millennium bug. But we, uh, we survived it, and we're here to tell the story. Who out of all of us here, who's done a New Year's resolution this year? Oh, so we've got a few. Okay, and three days in, has anyone given in already? No, we're a church full of resolve, and we know what we want to do, so that's very good. Um, New Year's always serve as a good opportunity for us to start fresh, and there's a sense of uh, uh, the, s- the slate is wiped clean, and you can make new decisions. You can say, from this point on, we're going forward in this direction. And you can look back and you can celebrate what's gone on in the past. And so New Year's are always exciting times. And as a church, we kind of do things in the New Year as well. In the academic New Year and in the calendar New Year, we kind of stop for a week. It's become a bit of a tradition to stop for a week just to, to offer everything, all our plans and all our hopes to God. And uh, we were talking a little while ago about the, um, the week of prayer that's going to start from next week. And I just want to encourage you to get involved in that. It's a great opportunity to stop and say, actually, Lord, all our plans, all our hopes, everything good that's going to come out of us, it comes from you, and we're reliant on you. We can't do anything worthwhile without you. What's that verse that says, unless the Lord builds a house, the builders build in vain. So we don't want to just start the year. Quick, let's get on with everything. We want to stop, and we want to dedicate it to God, and we want to say, God, would you bless everything we're doing. Amen? Amen. And to that end, we're also um, going to be doing three weeks of, uh, of teaching on prayer. Um, and hopefully that will help us as we pray next week, but also throughout the year as we come into the presence of God and ask Him for what we're looking for. Um, hopefully this, this series on prayer will help us and inspire us and give us some ideas on how we can go about praying. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to go through a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote to um, the Thessalonians. And we're going to see what he said to the Thessalonian church and see what we can apply into our own situation. But also, I think we're going to learn some things from Paul's prayer life. How did Paul go about praying? And I think as we do that, we'll be inspired and uh, kind of tooled up for us to get praying as well. So does that sound good? Okay, what I thought we'd do is we're going to read the whole of the prayer that we're looking at over the next three weeks um, together at the very beginning. So if you can find it, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 9. I'll read the whole thing, and then I'll read the two verses that I'm looking at today. It says this. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let me read the first two verses again. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have 
in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, as we start this new year, we just want to dedicate ourselves to you. Lord, we've been singing about, Lord, have your way in us. And I want to pray that, Lord. I want, I want to pray that you would have your way in us. Lord, we offer ourselves to you. And I pray as, as I preach, Lord, today, Lord, as we go through this series on prayer, I pray you would inspire us to seek your face, to, to want to be in your presence more and more, Lord God. I pray, I pray it so that we can step in line with your heart for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I want to do three things today. The first thing I want to do is set up a little bit of the background of the story. Um, it's always helpful to know the kind of heart behind what Paul is writing, and, and I think it's extraordinary. So um, we'll, we'll look at the background. Then we'll, go, uh, we'll look at verse 9. We're just going to do a Bible study, basically. We'll look at verse 9 and see um, what we can learn from Paul's prayer life. In particular, we're going to look at um, how he, he loved to bring come into the presence of God full of thanks and joy. And then we'll look at verse 10, and we're going to ask the question, what drove Paul's prayer life? What made him pray earnestly? What made him want to pray day and night? So that's the plan. Let's get cracking. So, the background. Thessalonians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in a city called Thessalonica, which is in Greece. It's the second biggest city in Greece. It was then. I think it is now as well. And uh, Paul's job, basically, his ministry, his passion, what God had anointed him to do was to take the word of God, to take the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ into towns and cities that had not heard it yet. So, uh, you know, any city you go into here, people would have heard of Jesus. But Paul was like a pioneer, and he would go into a city, and he'd, he'd preach the gospel, preach the message of Jesus Christ, and then he'd see people saved, and those people that he saw saved, he'd make a church out of them. And when they were ready, he'd send them off. Oh, sorry, he would go off and um, plant another church in another city. And that's what happened in Thessalonica. You can read the story in um, Acts 17. He goes into the city, he finds a synagogue where, there's, where the Jews meet, and he preaches there for three weeks. And to the Jews, he was explaining how Jesus was the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. And he said, you know, Jesus is the one who fulfills the criteria for what the Messiah was all about. And so many Jews heard this message and said, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, and they gave their life to him. And so many Jews were saved. That's exciting, isn't it? And then, to the Greeks, the message was, listen, you, you Greeks, you worship loads of gods, and you've got idols for everything in your house, but let me tell you something, there's only one God, one God, and there's only one way to know that God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so many Greeks said, wow, we love this gospel. They threw their idols away and gave their lives to Jesus. That's exciting, isn't it? So we've got Jews and we've got Gentiles, we've got Greeks coming to know Jesus. And so for three or four, we don't exactly know, but just a few weeks, Paul's working, teaching them about the life of a Christian, how to love God, how to, how to serve one another. How do Jews and Greeks who are kind of living separately, how do they come together and be one? 
they, he talked about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And this, this is exciting, isn't it? This is all very good. But then something goes a bit wrong. And that is that the Jews who didn't accept Jesus started saying, this isn't good. We don't want Paul taking all these people away from us. And so they, get, they start getting upset. And then the Greeks start getting worried. The leaders of, of the, the city start getting worried because Paul's saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. And the Greeks are thinking, we're going to get in trouble with the Romans if, if Paul keeps on preaching this and people start giving the lordship of their life to Jesus. And so between the, uh, the Jews and the Greeks, there's an uprising and a persecution rises up and Paul is kind of banished from the city of Thessalonica. He has to run away for his life, leaving this fledgling church, this group of believers who have been Christians for three, four, maybe five weeks, all on their own. Can you imagine the down (laughs) this must have been for Paul? The excitement of seeing so many people saved, and yet now he's had to leave them. And what does he do? He, he tries to get back in again, but there's still persecution, still trouble. So he, has to, he, he actually gets chased away into another city and from there gets chased into another city as well. He's going further and further away from Thessalonica, but he longs to get back to them. He longs to teach them some of the stuff that he didn't get the opportunity to teach them. So what does he do? He prays. He says, God, look after them. God, protect them. God, teach them. God, send the right people their way. God, help them remember everything that I've taught them. Please, Lord, would you look after them? And so that's all he can do. And then something interesting happens. You see, Paul goes to another town, and people from that town come to Paul and say, Paul, have you heard what's happening in Thessalonica? And he says, well, no, I, I left them, I started the church then, and then I had to leave. And they said, that church is doing incredible stuff for the kingdom of God. Their faith is an example to everyone in Greece and beyond. They're preaching the gospel and people are being saved everywhere. It's amazing. Their generosity, it just inspires so much among all of us as well. So Paul, suddenly, after being worried about this fledgling church that he's left for dead, is excited and inspired, and kind of thankful to God for everything he's doing. Paul gets so excited, he tries to go back another time, but can't get there. So he says, I'm going to send Timothy, my right-hand man. He's going to go and see how they're doing. Timothy goes, finds out they're doing amazing work, comes back to Paul, and says, Paul, they're, they're doing all of what you've heard about and more. God is blessing that place. And Paul, full of excitement and full of just love and joy and thanksgiving, writes the letter of the Thessalonians. And so that's the story, that's the background, okay? And it's helpful now to know uh, how Paul felt about this group of believers as we read through um, the, the prayer. So we're going to start now. It's not actually, the, the two verses I'm looking at to do today is kind of the preamble to the prayer. It's not the prayer, um, but uh, let's have a look at it. So verse 9. Says this, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in his presence because of you? I'll read it again. How can we, how can we, that's Paul and Timothy and Silas who wrote the book, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in his presence because of you? In other words, when we come into the presence of God, 
was great about, you know, we were singing about coming into the presence of God. We, we come into the presence of God when we're worshiping, when we're, when we're praying, when we just want to be with God. We're coming into the presence of God. When we come into the presence of God, we are filled with joy and thanks because of you. And this is something we look to do. Okay? We look to enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and our, his courts with praise, don't we? And so we sang, we're so grateful. What was the first song? I've come here today to worship again. And we're full of thanks, we're full of joy. That's what we want to do when we meet for prayer meetings. We come full of thanksgiving. We thank him for his love, for his holiness, for his goodness. He's, he's holy and yet he wants to have a relationship with us. We can be so thankful for all of this stuff. And this is the kind of thing we can always be thankful for. For the rest of my days, I can be thankful for what God has done for us. But listen, this is, this is what interests me. In this verse, in this particular instance, the source of Paul's joy, or the object of his thanks, is not directly the goodness of God, or the mercy of God, or the person of Jesus Christ. The source the reason he's thankful is the church, the Thessalonian church. And he says, we are filled with joy when we think of you. So the first challenge really is, let's be thankful for one another. See, it can be easy for us to thank God, and it's right as well. I'm not saying this is wrong at all, please. It's, it's great that we can thank God for his greatness and his mercy and kindness. And we can do that and then suddenly jump to the Let's pray for this and that and this. Okay? But actually, there's this kind of middle ground as well where Paul's saying thank you to God for everything the church is doing. And uh, we need to be thankful for one another. There's, a, there's a, um, a verse in a song, an old gospel song. It says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, you'll be amazed at what God has done. And actually, I think more and more we want to we thank God for what God is doing among us yeah testimony is such an encouragement and then when you go into pray actually when you've got when you're testifying about what God has done it makes it so much easier to pray for what we want to see him do isn't it I just want a couple of examples of what I've just in in the presence of God when I've been praying I've been so thankful for in the last couple of weeks Firstly, we had our carol services um, less than a month ago. And a couple of weeks, or maybe a week before, I went to the New Cross Connect group. And uh, we were having a discussion and, and, and thinking, are we going to get more than 30? Are we going to be able to get 30 of us to that place? And there was this kind of discussion, are, are the, you know, Bermondsey and Rotherhive, are they going to get like in the hundreds and we're going to get like 30? It's going to be a bit small, isn't it? And uh, so we kind of decided, well, we need to pray about it and we need to invite as many people as possible. And we had over 100 people attend that service. Don't you think that's amazing? From such a great... And we can thank God. But what I love about that is there were, there were people in that room, I'm sure, that had to overcome some fears in order to invite people. People had to say, actually, uh, God, who do you want me to invite? God, which neighbor do you want me to come and talk to? And they had to overcome something of a barrier in order to do it. And so I just want to recognize that and say, well done and thanks, thank you, God. That is such a, a great thing to, to witness. A second thing I want to just thank God for, and what I've thanked God for the other day, was uh, two days before Christmas, there was a food bank uh, going on at Drummond Road. 
And the place, the room that we do food bank was filled with people. Some people were serving. Some people were kind of getting stuff and, and whatever. But what Im- amazed me is the amount of people that were getting prayed for in that room. And I went into that room, and genuinely, it filled my heart with joy when I saw Sue and the team praying for people. I just thought, isn't that incredible? That builds my faith. I wasn't even involved in that thing, but it, was, it did something in my soul that made me think, wow, thank you, God, for what you're doing there. So look, let's, let's, let's make it a New Year's resolution. I think we're quite good at this, but let's thank God. Let's thank one another. When we see something good, Let's, let's, let's acknowledge it. Let's thank God. Let it fuel our faith for the future. But let me tell you something. I think we're quite good at it. So I'm going to go back into this verse again. And I think it might be a bit more challenging for us. <laughs> okay, here we go. I think this verse becomes more challenging when we realize the situation that the Apostle Paul was facing when he wrote it. And if you go back two verses to verse 7, it says this. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in our distress and persecution, we are encouraged because of your faith. In our hardship, in our distress and persecution, when we come into the presence of the Lord, we gain encouragement and we find out joy and thanksgiving when we think about you. And I think this is challenging because I think our reaction would often be completely the opposite. I think often, if you're struggling and life is tough and you see your brother or sister flourishing over there, you're thinking, God, what about me? <laughs> what, what you, it's, it's all right for them. Their housing situation's getting sorted out. It's all right for them. What about me? And you can think about kind of situation after situation. What is your reaction when other people are flourishing? I want to give you an example um, I want you to imagine something to see, to see where you're at with it. Okay? I want you to imagine you're in a job and you're not enjoying it. You've been in it for, a ni- you know, you've been struggling for nine months. Perhaps you tried to invite someone to an event at church and, uh, and actually it just felt like it caused a friction between you. Okay, so you're, you're struggling there in, in work and you're praying, God, give me an opportunity, give me a new job, please. Maybe you've gone for a couple of job interviews. That's you. Then you go to Connect Community and someone stands up and says, I just want to bring a testimony. A couple of weeks ago, I felt God say to me, give, uh, give, your, job no- give your notice in and trust me to provide a job. And two days later, I got given an opportunity for a new job. It's more pay. It suits my skills better. It's closer to home. I'm so happy. I want to thank God. Now, if you're the person waiting for a new job, how are you feeling now? You're feeling, are you, fe- are you feeling like Paul was? I'm happy, uh, that guy is flourishing, and therefore I'm happy? Or actually, is it, is it a bit of a struggle for you? And I want to put it to you that actually Christian love should be looking at your brother's situation and, and celebrating with them. Okay? I think the trick to this is that Paul is like living out the command of Jesus, the main command of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind, everything within you. And then the second one was love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Okay, so when Paul looks at a situation, he's thinking, okay, I'm struggling, but my brother here is doing well. He's flourishing. 
If I was flourishing, I'd be happy. I love him as much as I love myself, therefore I'm celebrating with him. I'm so happy that my brother and sister are doing well. Okay? And actually, maybe over the next year, that's something you could look at. Lord, how, you, how can I grow in this area? And we'll talk about it a little bit more later on. So that's, uh, that's the first verse. Verse 9. Let's go to verse 10. Where it says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So when Paul talks about praying night and day and earnestly, what, what does that make you think? Do you think Paul's being poetic here? He's, it's like he's, he's saying he loves them, but he's doing it in a poetic way. I'm always praying for you, night and day. It's a bit like saying, I love you to the moon and back. It sounds lovely, but it's just an expression saying, you know, I'm praying for you. Or do you think he's like one of those super spiritual, kind of uber-holy those in amazing, incredible people, somehow, I don't know how they do it, but they've got just energy to pray all the time. It's not in my DNA, but I admire them and I respect them. When I go to New Day, I'm knackered by the third day, mainly because these guys don't go to sleep. <laughs> so I'm waiting. All of us as youth leaders are waiting outside their tents. If they make a noise, hey, shut up. Okay, and by the end, you, I'm not even going to tell you what time we go to bed, but it's later than you, okay, we fall asleep. And, um, and by the third day, I'm just like walking around like a zombie, just trying to find somewhere to sleep. And that's always when another youth leader from another church will come up to me and say, Hi, Chris, how's your week going? And I'm like, well, pretty tired, to be honest. How's your week going? Oh, well, I was quite tired last night, so I set my alarm for the six o'clock prayer meeting, spent two hours in the presence of our Lord, and now I'm feeling invigorated. <laughs> I'm off to do a seminar on prayer pilates later on. <laughs> I feel I'm so alive. Maybe you think Paul's like one of those. John Greenway is one of those. <laughs> Definitely. Maybe, maybe there's something in that. Or maybe, just perhaps, maybe, I haven't got my notes here. Perhaps Paul was driven by love. Actually, perhaps the reason he's praying day and night, praying earnestly, is just because he cares so much for this group of people. He loves them so much. They were a fledgling church. They were in their incubation period, and he got torn away from them. He's tried to get back again and again and again, but he finds he's drifting further and further away from them. What can he do except pray? God look after them. God protect them. God show them love. God help them remember everything that I've taught them. Please, Lord, will you do it? You see, when our prayer lives are kind of tick lists, which I'm not, I'm not saying we should never have tick lists, okay? But when it's like, Here's the agenda we need to pray for. It's hard to understand how he could pray earnestly. It's hard to understand how we could pray day and night and day and night. But actually, when our prayer is driven by love, all of a sudden, it becomes a little bit more understandable. When someone rings, rings me up in the night and says, you know, there's this illness to pray for, suddenly I find the desire to pray for it. You know, and, and actually, we want to learn to develop that kind of love with him. And the secret to this, 
the way we find this love, Paul's going to tell you next week. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, look, if we want to find joy in one another, then we must learn to be increasingly thankful for one another. Yeah? We, no, we must um, hold one another in high esteem and value the flourishing of each other as much as we value the flourishing of ourselves. Is that agreed? And if we want to pray with the kind of passion, the desire, the love that the Apostle Paul prayed with, then we must learn to get that kind of deeper sense of love for one another. Now there's some people thinking to themselves, why? Why, why do we need to love someone else, our neighbor, more than we love ourselves? It's not very Darwin, is it? It's, it's like, what, what are you talking about? I just love myself as much as I want. I can love my family. Why should I love my brothers and sisters or my other people in the church more than I love myself? Well, the reason is we're talking about Christian love. Yeah, and the definition of Christian love is completely different to the, to the Darwin definition of love, to the world's definition of love. The world's definition of love is about protecting yourself, really, protecting yours and, and your own. Whereas the biblical definition of love is, is far more inclusive and far wider ranging than that. And our biggest... Our biggest um, role model in love is Jesus. The one we look to and say, that's how you love someone, is Jesus. And we get all our tips, all our, everything we want to learn from is from Jesus, okay? Jesus is the most ex- important example of love. He died on a cross. And he didn't die for fun. He didn't die to show off. He died because he loves you and he dies because he, he loves me. He wanted to see you flourish. He wanted you to have life. And that meant he had to die. You see, your sin, the things you've done wrong, separate you from the Father, separate you from God. And so Jesus took your punishment, put it on himself, died on the cross for it. That's the ultimate, ultimate expression of love. And that's where we learn how to love one another. I want to finish, and I'm sorry, I'm far shorter than I was expecting to be, but um, I want to finish by reading Philippians chapter 2, because I think this, um, this summarizes everything we've talked about today. So you can find it, it's Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 3. And I want to challenge you, if, if, if you're a Christian and you feel, actually, I need to grow in this kind of love. I just want, I want you to use this as a meditation. I want you to think about this. I want you to pray, God, teach me some more of, of the kind of love that we've been talking about today. And if you're not a Christian, I just please listen to what, what the words in this, um, in Philippians chapter 2. And if afterwards you think, I want to find out some more, please come and talk to me. I'll just be at the, at the um, front of the stage here. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of each other. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. I'm just going to pray and then we'll finish. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the ultimate demonstration of love, which was you dying for us on the cross. And Father, we want to we see your example and, and live like that, Lord God. We want to love like you loved, sacrificially caring for the, the value and the flourishing of others, Lord, as much or, as, uh, or more than we do for ourselves. And Holy Spirit, I pray as a church, we would grow and develop in this kind of love, Lord, over, even over this coming year, Lord, as we come into your presence, Lord Jesus. And I pray as we look to accelerate in prayer, as we look to seek you more, and as we realize that actually anything good that comes, comes from you, Lord. I pray that you would help us to, to be motivated by love, Lord, that our prayer lives would be full of love for one another, love for the areas that we live in, love for family, love for friends that don't know you. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, you would do a work within us in order to see that come about. In Jesus' name, amen.